Well, hello everyone. G'day, it's Chris Marubella here, and I'm joined by my co-host Maureen Heady. This is the Moors and Mirror podcast. How are you, Moors? Terrific, Chris. How are you? This is an exciting day for us. This is episode 01. You know, I'm such a nerd. I was thinking, is this episode 01 or 001? And I'm telling you why that's important. Because when you sequentially list numbers, 01 to 99 is fine. But then when it comes to 100, things get thrown out. So are we going to do more than 99 episodes of this, do you think? We'll definitely do more than 99, so it's 001. What a fantastic <laughs> way to disengage with the audience to talk about... The a- future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ADD and numbers and everything uh, well, look, we're really excited for our first episode because you might want to introduce our guest. We're delighted to be joined today by Darren Mort. Now, Darren Mort is well known in Melbourne and national circles and international circles. Darren's a family law barrister and an actor, philanthropist, lecturer, you name it. Darren's done it. Thank you for joining us, Darren. Thank you for having me. And I just want to know, is 001 a binary number? No, it's just the sorting thing. <laughs> oh, 01 right. okay. and 100, it throws things out. But Darren, but look, <laughs> before we should start, Darren's had a milestone. Darren has had a milestone party. Uh, Darren, tell us more. It's more a gravestone <laughs> than a milestone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I had a party and yes, it's 60. And, and since I've turned 60, a lot of people have said, you know, 60 is the new 50 or the new 40. Well, it's just rubbish because there's nothing new about it. It's 60 and it's, it's not flash. But in saying that, I've got my health. I've got wonderful friends. I had a wonderful party. So I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invoke the what happens on the party is told to everybody about the party um, clause as opposed to what happens on the party. No, but it stays in the party. It was fancy dress. It was Hollywood themed because it, it was, was combining your passion, and yes. which is... The thespian part of the world, is that right? Yes, it is, yes. I love a bit of theatre. Yeah, okay. Well, I couldn't attend. I was invited. Couldn't attend. There's another story because we were locking ourselves down for a family wedding that was a week later. Daz, tell us who you were dressed as. Well, the family made me get dressed up as the greatest showman and they all got dressed up as greatest show people. Right, <laughs> as in the Hugh Jackman greatest showman. As in the Hugh Jackman. And um, we just thought as a family it was kind of a good theme because it mixes my work and my love of musical theatre and acting and just stuff. And besides, the top hat made me taller, so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Darren, you look about 40 and you feel about 40, I'm sure. And what what happened on the dance floor? What was, what were some of the characters that were there? Who won the door prize? So, well... Curiously enough, Helen Cordos won the door prize. She was dressed as Maleficent. And um, she said to me, I don't know why I've won this, Daz, because I didn't get dressed up. Um, but that's Helen. <laughs> um, her house is like the Adams family. They've got a grave, yeah, they've got a grave in the front yard. So um, all the kids run screaming past the house in the street. But that's Helen for you, you know. She looked great. And her husband came as, what's that Korean show where they wore the pink suits and the... The masks. Skid, squid Game. Squid Game. He came yeah. as Squid Game and didn't take his mask off the whole night. <laughs> With honourable mention to, is it Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, they were great. They were great. They were great. And, and Moors came as good old Doris Day singing K Sarah Sarah. That was magnificent. You could, have, you could have come as Rock Hudson. Yeah, I, yeah, thank you. No, I could have come as Rock, but I saw Mo- Moore's frock and what? how would you describe that hat? It's a pill... Uh, what, what's yeah, pillbox hat, pillbox hat and yes. a peplum bright pink dress yeah. and peep toe black patent heels. You know, the audience is going to say, is this, is this uh, podcast a videocast? Because I want to see the photos. 
The Greatest Showman. <laughs> no. We'll, we'll have yes. them as part of our link to the podcast. Uh, and and yeah. Rodders, Rodders, your uh, husband came as Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa. Yeah, there was a few Rockies there on the night. Well, yes, there were, and in fact, he did a couple of rounds with Maddie, didn't he? Um, who was a bit less um, uh, for wear after a few drinks. Uh, I think Maddie had never been to a party before. He just sort of lost it on the. He was the other Rocky, and he and Rod got into a bit of shadow punching. <laughs> I love Rod so much. He's a terrific guy. But I tell you what, he might have wanted to put a few kgs on to pull off Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I tell you, he's uh, he works too hard. Your Rod. Now listen, let's talk a little bit about um, stuff, Darren, that you're involved with. Um, sure. As Moore said, you're a family law barrister. You've got a bit of a story to tell, haven't you? I mean, you're you're very, you're very passionate about. Uh, obviously your job, but the the subject matter that you're dealing with every day is something that um, resonates and so much so that you live this extra life as part of that. Look, I'm not probably explaining it very well. I'll let you tell us your story. Yeah, that's okay. I Yes, I, I um, st- obviously studied law at university in science and um, ended up being a lawyer. But after some, some 32 years um, being a barrister, I just thought, well, there's more that we can do. There's more that we can add value to the community. So I know I've always been very passionate about children and their rights and their the lack of a voice that they have sometimes in family court proceedings. So my two worlds collided, my, my world in relation to my acting and producing and my world in so far as being a barrister. And as a result of that collision... Uh, we formed, Nancy Bassett and I formed this charity and, and my wife, um, Anne, um, called To Be Love Network, where we, where we produce resources to assist children navigate family violence and separation. So it's fairly serious, but the resources we produce, producing them is a lot of fun because we get to create and creating things is what I love doing. And so we've had a lot of success. We've, I wrote a kid's book. We've, we've had a successful film, Tommy. Um, we've got a lot of things on the drawing board. COVID sort of delayed things, but we've got a lot of things happening. And we're very fortunate uh, in terms of what we can do and the support that we get from people um, to produce those resources. So the resources include the publications and the movies or screenplays. What are you involved with currently, Daz? Currently, currently, I'm writing a book. Would you believe called Isla's Song? Isla's Song is um, we we did a screenplay. My friend um, Philip Classen and myself did a screenplay, um, based on a true story. Except I've set it back in the 1950s, and I've added a bit of Lady Gaga to it. In, in so far as a star is born, I suppose. But it's um, a story of international child abduction, and that's that book that I'm writing. I'm fifty thousand words in. Well done, Des. No. How many more to go? The first word of the book was like. And I, as I wrote like, I thought, oh, my God, only 89,999 words to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but there's this lovely lady up in Brisbane. Um, her name is Gail Tagaro, and she's, my, she's a professional editor. So every week I submit 3,000 words to her, and every Thursday we go through it. And she helps me edit it. She coaches me on storylines and character development. And she is incredible. So, And that book's going to be made into a film, um, which is a feature film, which is going to be fantastic because Isla gets to go to Scotland. I don't know whether I'll get to go to Scotland. It'll probably be shot in New Zealand, probably. But in any event, it's going to be a fantastic experience um, to see it come to life. 
So uh, it sounds awesome, Daz, and knowing you with all your energy, you'll make it come to fruition, <laughs> come hell so. or high water. I hope so. With the resources that um, you're producing for the To Be Love Network for children navigating violence and family separation, I imagine the, the movie making is similar regardless of what you're making the movie for. So how, how does it start? You would have gone through this many, many times as an actor, producer and director yourself. That's a, a good question. This, the, what I was thinking is that the first thing is getting a good story and story is king. It doesn't matter. Look, we made a film, Degree of Separation, in 2018, I think, and it took us to Hollywood, you know, on the red carpet. There we were with the little film costing us $5,000 in at the Chinese theatre, you know. So it's, it's all about story, and if you've got a good story, people will become engaged. So that's the starting point. Um, then is getting a, surrounding yourself with a really good, high-quality team. And that's, that's when the money starts kicking in because you need money to do that. And that's not easy. So, for, for example, Screen Australia and Film Victoria won't even look at you, really, unless you've got a good team surrounding you. They need to know that you mean business. And so once you get that on in place, um, the government gives you some rebates. Um, but, you know, the f- otherwise you just got to go around and see if you can get funding from corporates or, or whatever to see if they'll fund the film. And um, a film like Isla will cost, I think it'll at least cost $5 million, something like that. And um, that's why I'm here today to ask you and Chris for a loan, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got some, I've got some crypto, but I forgot yeah. my password. Uh, oh, damn. Yeah, I'm sure it's worth $20 trillion today. Oh, yeah, a little no. bit of Bitcoin. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that's, that's what happens. Filmmaking is not an easy process. And in a non-financial sense, excuse the French, but a, a filmmaker said to me years ago, no one sets out to make a turd. And unfortunately, with filmmaking... Yes, you've got a great story, but by the time it goes through pre-production, shooting, post-production and final edits and you're ready to air it, there are so many fingers that have touched your story, um, so its authenticity is at risk along that production line. So, and, you, um, and you end up with Cats, the movie. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what was that dreadful song that drunken cat woman used to sing? <laughs> Bad cat. What was, what was her name? <laughs> Memories. <laughs> Memories. I'm surprised she had any. Surely she had delusions or dementia by well, that stage. Well, you know, <laughs> we think about we think about um, the movies that are made uh, that come out of the big production houses in North America and Europe, and they can sort of th- their system is they can afford the odd turd. Excuse mm. the French. Yep. But in Australia, where pr- funding is so precious, it is. Um, you make it. And that might that might have been your one and only shot. I know, I know. It's 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 really terrible. I was watching a film the other night. What was it called? Um, oh, it had Ryan Reynolds in it. A new film. Um, oh, that was the, the Adam one. Legend or Adam Project. The Adam Project. That's it. And you look at all these films, and next time everyone will be looking at the credits. And you look at the films, and most of them, the executive producers and producers, are the lead roles in the films, like Ryan Reynolds or Tom Cruise or probably Chris Hemsworth these days. Um, because what they do is they make all these millions making a film, and then they set up their own production companies, and away they go. And that's how Adam Sandler's done about 99 films. Um, I can't stand Adam Sandler. But anyhow, um, he's done all these films and that's how he's done it. That's how he's made his money over the years. And it makes sense. Brad Pitt does the same thing. Um, and he makes a few turns, but um, his film, that's that's what he does. Um, who's the other one? George Clooney, he does a lot of 
Um, he does. He's producer and executive producer on a lot of his films. Is, is there any such thing as a bad George Clooney movie? Uh, My wife would say no. Yeah. I'm a bit more judgmental. Yeah, <laughs> probably jealous. So is there ever a bad Sandra Bullock movie? No, no, okay. no, no. Exactly. I like Sandra Bullock. Yeah, she's great. She's she underrated. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, don't get me started on Nicole Kidman though. Oh. Um, but anyhow, um, moving right along, Nicole, if you're listening, I think you're fantastic. <laughs> um, anyhow, well, look, um, fair is fair. You put yourself out there in the public domain, and you're, that's a critique. That's a, an objective critique. That's what happens. That's what happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd love to. See, we should turn this into a movie podcast. Well, I was going to say, Chris, you've been involved in the Australian movie industry yes. in, in a capacity. So what are your insights on it? Well, there was a period there. Oh, I mean, I've worked in media and television for 20 years and um, not at the high art end of things, but nevertheless at a fairly serious end of stuff. And there was a period of about uh, 18 months where I worked at the uh, – it was then called the AFI, the Australian Film Institute, now called something else. And uh, that was interesting because it gave us an insight – it gave me an insight uh, to – just how threadbare the Australian film industry operates on, um, how precious it is to have networks and uh, just take every opportunity you can. And this was in the good times. And I remember um, when – this is a long time ago. It's uh, 20 years ago. But um, at the time uh, we had uh, th- those guys who were emerging. Um, oh, he was in um, LA Confidential, the Australian actor. No. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce used to come into our little office in South Melbourne to pay his annual AFI dues. Right. And but he was still a Hollywood star at that stage, and of course everyone would swarm out to see because you know he was famous. Not mm. that was here's a networking opportunity. There's a great episode of Extras. I'm not sure if you remember that was on with Ricky Gervais. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, where Ricky Gervais is playing an extra, desperate to break into mainstream, and he does eventually. But and anyone who's seen this will know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, he's he's an extra at a film set where Patrick Stewart, this fictional film that they're making, so to speak, the film's full fiction, but it's the TV show. But anyway, Patrick Stewart is the star, and Ricky Gervais knocks on the door of the caravan, the, the big you know where Patrick is, and he's got his script with him, and he walks in, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever ever seen made. And he and he's doing this little, and he walks in, and Patrick Stewart welcomes him. Oh, oh yes, 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 you're. Um, you're um, p- uh, pitching and networking. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you've got to do that sort of thing. So Ricky Gervais comes in very sheepishly to serenade Patrick Stewart to get his script, you know, interested and get it up the chain a bit further. Anyway, look, I don't want to spoil what happens next, but it's seriously one of the funniest things ever put on film, video, whatever you call it. Get onto YouTube or go and watch <laughs> it because it's one of the funniest things about pitching. But, yeah, the Australian film industry – sorry, Moss, it's a really long-winded answer. But, yeah, the, the Australian film industry probably hasn't changed. Because getting money, and people think, oh, well, that film, that big Tom Hanks film's been made in Brisbane, isn't that great for the film? No, that, that money is really Hollywood money. It employs specialists, you know, mm. cinematographers, grips and everything like which is great, which is really terrific. But it's not necessarily a sign of the health of the Australian film industry because they're not telling Australian stories. Mm. And um, it's very hard in Australia to tell an Australian story. Um, all the f- many of the fame, most you know, profitable. It's show business. It is business. Most of the Australian stories that have been in the last you know couple of decades that have been wildly successfully popular don't necessarily add anything to our cultural insight. You know, like you might be thinking, "Oh, Crocodile Dundee, full of bullshit." Um, mm. Supposedly based on somebody. It was a great panoramic uh, view of the Northern Territory. 
and you know, jeez, uh, oh, I'm scratching here. But what about that film Isla's Song that's about to be apparently, mm, and that that's set in Camberwell, oh, mm. and St Vincent's Hospital, and Melbourne Uni, and Newman College. How's that? Well, <laughs> interestingly, Mad Max, the original film, mm. that famous scene where Max goes and gets his black um, uh, Devastator car, yes, is shot in the basement of Melbourne Uni. Right. Uh, that famous scene. Well, I've got a connection with Mad Max too because when our house was burnt down and we had to find other accommodation, you know, I was playing Mary and Anne was Joseph or other way around. Someone was on a donkey. <laughs> Anyhow, we were looking for accommodation and we and my mate's house in Kew became available or the back of my mate's house. It's a beautiful house, had tapestries of Jesus and the Last Supper all over the wall. We felt very religious there. Yes. But anyhow, to cut a long story short, the garage was where they filmed some of Mad Max and the writer of Mad Max stayed at those premises. Now, That's what was his name again? Dr George Miller. That's it. Yeah, so George, this is, we're talking 1978, yep, 79. Yep, and that's what the, the house was decorated like, it was brown um, inside and out. But um, Georgie Miller stayed there and they filmed Mad Max in the garage. That is fantastic. And, of course, that's legendary, that film, because of how cheaply they made it. Yeah. There was only three – they had three Falcons. Yep. Uh, and you got the impression there was lots more. And, of course, if you go back and watch those original Mad Max movies, first of all, there's no green screen. No. So it's all real. And you see where they rehearsed. You can see all these skid marks on the road where they've rehearsed all their crashes and everything like that. But it shot down there at – a lot of it shot down out in the western Altona. Yeah, Altona, And all, and all yeah. these places. And then they went down the western districts. Yeah. And they, no permits. Yeah, we used to go in the Sandmans to the Donny Drive-In, you know, years ago and watch Mad Max week after week. And I used to be so terrified. You know that scene where the, the hand is strapped to the car? Yes. Yeah, and it looks so real back in 1970 whenever – but when you look at it now, it's it's hilarious. Well, it hasn't aged well, that movie. The actor, Joanne... Joanne uh, Samuels. Samuels, her legendary line says, what have you got there, Sprog? Yeah. And I thought, who would call their baby Sprog? I think well, that's what... I work in the family court. There are a few people, actually. Well, let's get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Daz, with Isla's song, you're currently writing the book. Yeah. And then you are looking for seed funding. But what, um, what else... You, what, at what point are you at with that going into production? Are you looking for... People to audition? Are you looking for sets? No, not at the moment. So um, initially, what will happen is the screenplay will be vastly amended. I assume as a result of the book. So that'll be nailed. A script will be nailed down first with some decent script writers and, and editors. Um, then they'll be looking for funding and start working out a pre-production plan for it. So usually. Anything between zero and five years is the lifespan for a movie that actually gets off its feet and ends up in a cinema. Um, that's normally how long it takes, unfortunately. Um, but that's part of the problem without having any money. If I had a million dollars or five million dollars in the bank, I could just go and do it tomorrow um, once I had the proper script down. But um, the script is really important, obviously. Yeah. And the previous script we had... There's a lot of psychology in Isla because abducted children have very complex emotions driven by their sense of abandonment by the other parent, their sense of regret in terms of why one parent took a unilateral action and removed them from the other parent. So they're quite complex 
um, stories. So we wanted to get, make sure we got it right. And there's a lo- lovely lady who's you know smart as paint over at Westminster in, in the UK and um, Marilyn Freeman, and she does a lot of work with kids who have been abducted and she's um yeah she's been involved in some filmmaking herself anyhow so i'm constantly in contact with her and um she's been able to give me some feedback too because i want to make sure it's authentic yeah so that's that's how that'll all go but look it's it's very enjoyable because when i write a book because i've got a crazy mind when i write a book it's like sitting down at a couch with a with a bucket of popcorn and i just literally sit there and I lose the world and I watch it all play out in front of my eyes mm. and I just get to write it. So the, the zero to five years it takes to get it from – well, to get it onto the screen, your interest must wax and wane. And in the meantime, you, you're auditioning for roles yourself as an actor, Darren, and yeah, doing a variety of other of things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of other things I want to do. I'm, I want to produce a play in the next year. We've um, got this Noel Coward play which we want to do. Um, that's got nothing to do with the charity. That's just for, for fun. But we're developing a kids app at the moment, which is in collaboration with Monash University. There's another short film that's already been written, um, Millionaire Magic Puppet Show, together with a book. So there's lots of stuff happening. What's the app do? Yes. The app gives kids information about who's who in the zoo, in the family court. So it gives them information that they wouldn't otherwise have and it explains to them what the function of various people are in the court. But it's also got attached to it, excuse me, a health and wellbeing component. So kids can do some mindfulness, check in with themselves, um, maybe give some explanations why they're feeling like they're feeling, give them a go-to in case a kid's helpline or something like that. Um, So it's meant to arm them. It's not meant to be... It can't be used by parents as a weapon against the child or the other parent um, because the information in it is kind of useless to adults. It's more tuned attuned to children. Right. And when mm. do you think that's going to... Um, Hopefully yeah. in the next year. Monash have been doing all the back-end stuff to it in terms of making sure the research is there because we don't want to launch an app like this and put our heads on the chopping lock, block and um, be criticised for it because dealing with kids so we're going to be very careful um what we produce so uh that's that's being done stella latas is doing all that she's amazing she's a phd psychologist at, at monash uni and so once that's done we can then go on to the app makers and get it done get it out there so yeah well we'll come back to you in a minute Darren, I'm just going to take a pause for a little station break here. I want to talk to you about one of our sponsors. Precious Stories is a business that tells the stories of people that are precious. And what I mean by that is and one of the most obvious or most regular services that they provide is for families wanting to tell the story usually of an older person while their mind is intact and tell these amazing stories. And it's so often, I'm not sure how many times you've been to a big milestone 80th or more or should I say a funeral where everybody stands up and tells wonderful things and how nice it would be if a little bit of that story is told by that person themselves in the service. And quite often people get that inspiration after they've lost that person, either they've you know, gone to God or their mind has left them. So Precious Stories is just doing what we do here, sitting down and recording the stories of people in a very non-threatening environment, high quality, and uh, it's forever. One of the greatest gifts Family gifts you can have, preciousstories.com.au. 
let's come back to Darren. Darren. That's yeah. very interesting what you say about precious stories. In fact, I was inspired by precious stories by mum. She was having her 80th and my family said, oh, Chris, you do all this stuff. Go and talk to mum and record it and so we can tell good stories when we go up and give her a thing. Yeah. I, I just pulled out a little MP3 recorder that I had and then I, right. and I went play and she didn't even really notice it was there. And then I'm starting to hear stuff that I never knew. And do they give it to you in a audio format? So we record the audio like we're doing now. Yep. And usually, in a, you know, they'll be sitting in, a, in, a, in an armchair, comfortable. We don't do we, – we offer video as well. But the thing about video is there's a lot more consciousness and awareness mm. of the camera. Whereas we just get a microphone and they just talk and we just get them to tell their life story. Usually what we do is we get uh, the family to – we commission – the family commission us to do it. They give us a whole series of talking points. And interestingly, they speak more openly and candidly to a stranger in some cases mm. than they do to their own family members. And the other thing that happens is they'll tell stories that they think aren't that interesting. And then everybody in the family goes, my God, I never knew that Dad went out with her before she met Mum. He met Mum or something like that. And everybody's, oh, my God, you know, this is from 70 years ago. So we get these fantastic things and then everyone goes, oh, my God. And then, of course, I mean, I know Richard Olive, he asked us, to record his sister's story because there was a 17-year gap. And I think it was only about three months later. Oh, I remember that, Chris. She died. Yeah. And, I mean, they knew she wasn't well. Mm. And the family just sat down and listened to this hour and a half intimate audio mm. recording like this. Wow. And they said, and I thought, oh, well, that's a really good business idea. Mm. We're, well, getting I, it, we're getting it for my mum, Daz. I was so thinking the same thing. Oh, Barbara would be fabulous. She'd yeah. have so many stories to tell. Our, our, my mum's living with us now, Daz. Oh, yeah, right, she started yeah, at, the, at the end of last year and yeah. she does have periods of forgetfulness. But like Chris was saying, she'll say she'll watch the cricket and she'll say, oh, that guy looks like someone who lived near me in Wicks Street when mm. I lived um, in Camberwell. I'm like, you've never said – you never even talked about Wicks Street. So it's like – amazing. It is. It's a great we, idea. We did some – I did. I used to do something naughty because my auntie – so my mum's – Barb's mother died – and then auntie, it's called auntie, she, a couple of years later, she ended up with um, dementia and she was put into a home and you know, she still talked but she just didn't know who you were. So I used to rock up to the nursing home and pretend that I was one of her friends, whoever, whatever friend she called me on the day. And I used to say, oh, it's a beautiful day today. I said, aren't the streets, aren't the, isn't Collins Street beautiful today, Eileen? And she'd go, oh, yes, it's lovely. And I'd say, where should we go shopping? Oh, let's go down to Maya. I saw a dress I'd like. I said, oh, I said, what do you, what did you like? What do you like about Maya? Oh, I like this, I like that. And what, and what sort of dress? Can you describe the dress to me? And you can, can you describe the people and the trams? And so she'd take me on this journey back to you know Second World War days, and she remembered them vividly because her long term memory was fine, and it was extraordinary. I used to love going to visit her. Well, so, well, that's yeah. what Precious Stories does, tells those stories and, and when they've gone, we've got this beautiful recording, sounds fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Some of them just come out by accident. Like um, early on we, when we did a Marcelin job for Jerry Sexton. Oh, Jerry Sexton. He came in just to talk about his high school days and dropped the, oh, pardon the pun, dropped the bomb that uh, right after high school he was in Darwin for the Darwin bombings and it was his job to go onto the beach and drag the bodies off. Oh. <gasps> It was just unbelievable. And you were just hang, hang on, school stuff aside, keep going. He said, yeah, I listened to the army and I got posted to Darwin in 1941. And I went, uh, and this was when the five years ago when the 
65th anniversary. We've just had it again. Wow. And I said, Jerry, were you in? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's got this amazing voice. Yep. Incredible memory. And he started saying, oh, yeah, well, me and some of the American GIs and our, our battalion, we were, uh, we were put in a crew and our job was to pull the bodies out of Darwin Harbour. And I'm going, this is Australian history. Mm. So I wrote to the Australian War Memorial and I said, I've got an audible recording of a... World War Two survivor who was pulling, and then I just got this blurb about disclosures and forms. Oh yes, we'll take it, but you got it. I'll just keep it for my own collection one day. And when he got, he just turned hundred and hundred, hasn't he? Mm. So, Jaron, thank you for um, sharing that story about uh, the thespian side of things. But the the family law. I mean, we, we we were laughing before about how kids are named by families, but you must see some extraordinary things in the family law court that must be not so f- tragic. Yeah, you do see some tragic things but you sometimes sometimes you get to do things and make a difference to kids lives that you know you can't put a price on you know I had a case um, last year which went for a very long time and involved two kids who were the subject of a dispute between parents and it was just a really really ugly case I can't go into any detail, of course, but of course not, it was no. it was very ugly. But those children um, are now with their father now, and they have just done a complete backflip in terms of how they were behaving beforehand. And he sends me messages um, quite often thanking me for making such a difference to these kids' lives. So. You know, you don't want to paint yourself as any hero. You're just doing your job at the end of the day, but. Uh, we do have responsible jobs and we do have an opportunity to make a difference sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And your inspiration from your family, your lovely wife Anne, Daz? Oh, lovely your, wife Anne. Your three my beautiful first wife, children. My <laughs> first wife and my only wife, a long-suffering wife. Got that one in, Darren, very good. <laughs> one and only. The long-suffering wife. Yeah. yeah, she's increased her medications over the years to put up with me. <laughs> um but no, she's. I think I said at my recent birthday party, she's um, like Sally's no more gaps. She sort of um, fills the gaps um, that makes the family strong and um, happening. And she's the glue happens. that holds it together. She's the glue that holds it together. Who would, have, who would have thought that a woman would glue a family together and hold it all together <laughs> exactly, more? Exactly. Yeah. Who would have thought? Exactly. But she is, and she gets so invested with the children. I said, and the, the, the kids are all adults now. Don't get invested, and but she does because she's the mother lioness. They're always your children, darling. I know. I think I think I'm her fourth child actually. <laughs> Do you know that she stood between me and another over six footer once because he was going to punch me in the face, and she stood between the two of us um, and said to him, "Don't you dare punch my husband." <laughs> I was quite impressed. She's five foot two and a bit. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that night. It Chris was and I both know Anne, don't we, Chris? We do. Isn't uh, she just beautiful? Uh, Moors. Yeah. One of the things that we should, for anybody who's listening to the Moors and Mirror f- for the first, uh, f- and no, don't know Maureen and I and Darren, uh, we're, we're good mates. We'll go back. The commonality for all of us is Marsland College, where we've, um, well, Darren and I went, and Moors is a parent of Marsland kids, and uh, we reconnected with Darren years ago. Mm. And... Um, and I'm not sure Darren can tell his own story about Marsland, but growing up and going and going to the school that your parents chose for you is not necessarily... I mean, in this day and age, most kids get a choice in where they go to school, but growing up in 1970s, Campbell, Ellen, Pauline, 
barren. It was not uh, places for the faint-hearted, really, was it? And no, no, not at all. It was pretty rough territory, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was tough. It was strict. It was. Um, I was writing a chapter of Isla's book the other day, and I stole an experience. Um, there was a brother Patrick that we had at Marceline. Not his real name. Not his real name. Brother Patrick O'Hannessy, O'Shaughnessy, was it? Jones, Smith, all of those names. Anyhow, not his real name. But he had a he had a drawer full of pills. I was the class monitor, so I used to tick everyone off. Um, code for school suck. And um, so I used to tick everyone off. But he had this cane and he was very short-sighted. And when the boys misbehaved, he used to walk down the aisle and use the cane as a set of non-chuckers and just swish it from side to side. And, of course, he never struck one boy, but all the boys used to you know, fly into the into the gap between the desks pretending they'd been killed by Brother Patrick. And then meanwhile, as he was going down there, down the aisle, some other naughty boy had got a piece of chalk and writing, you know, ill-mannered things on the back of his cloak. But that was the way it was. It was a war zone. Oh, look, the days of big classes, ridiculous classes, I was just telling a story to Moores about my experiences in the late 80s, this is hard to believe, and it was during your time there, Daz, but at our sister school, not officially, but a sister school, the science students there were not offered in year 12, HSE it was then, the opportunity to do science at their school. And so these dozen girls got, like, sent like convicts to, over the the (laughs) river, to Marceline. And not only had to contend with a new school, but be 12 girls in a school of, well, about 1,000 boys at the time. And massive classes, rope learning. Uh, there was no air conditioning in the uh, in the classes. Of course, it was a blessed time. We had no mobile phones. That was good. But it was a completely different experience to looking now what kids learn or how kids learn. I think that experience for the girls was like the precursor to Married at First Sight, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 it was just yeah. Well, like in Married at First Sight, all the women are actually highly intelligent, but um, <laughs> playing and gaming the system to uh, oh improve this. Yeah, well, let's not go down maths line. But yeah, that was a different time, wasn't it? And growing up in that time, how much of your without wanting to you to tell you about the whole life story, but how much of uh, your growing up and formative years uh, were instrumental in leading you down the um, uh, professional family law? You were always going to be a, a, in law. But why and how did you specialise in family law? I don't think anyone specialises in family law to start out with. I think family law finds you. My grandmother used to sit me down with some Vegemite on crackers and a cup of tea and force me to watch Perry Mason with her back back in the day. And so I always wanted to be a lawyer, but then I kind of liked science as well, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I ended up doing law but I started out doing criminal law and after four years in a couple of my mates said oh do you want to do some family law and I thought oh yeah okay I'll give it a go I'd studied at university and you know 28 years later I'm still doing family law you know but full time so but it really found me I didn't really go hunting for it but I don't know from a Marcelin point of view, apart from meeting some fantastic friends, friends that I've still got now and, and networks, I don't know what impact that had on my decision-making as far as being a lawyer was concerned. We had a couple of good legal studies teachers at Marcelin whom I really liked, but 
I don't know how much impact that had on me. Um, yeah, so Marcelin was... I'm a very different person than what I was when I was a student at Marcelin. I was two foot nothing. Um, I didn't have any muscle on me. I was a year younger than my peers because I'd skipped a grade when I was at school in primary years. So, yeah, so it wasn't a great experience in so far as that was concerned because... Oh, and the other thing too, my dad being a VFL footballer, there was an expectation that I would be a VFL footballer. So, and that used to haunt me because I felt like I was letting everyone down all the time because I wasn't a footballer. My dad didn't teach me how to kick a football. I didn't know anything about football. I had to pretend that I knew. Oh, the worst. The worst. And so, yeah, it was, that side of things wasn't very pleasant, but... You know, as I said, I met some great friends there. They used to, some of them used to kind of protect me um, almost, you know, at dances and stuff because I was, I remember one incident I was dressed as a gorilla and I think Pete Maloney and Brendan White and a couple of them um, came into the bathroom where these guys were ripping off my mask and tearing my costume up and they kind of stuck up for me and, you know, I sort of escaped with my torn um, ape mask. <laughs> but um, Maybe yeah. that's where that acting bug started too, Dad, yeah. having to pretend that you were having a reasonable time but you weren't an AFL footballer or... You, you yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think I went down the acting route in spite of everything else because I think I was always enjoyed creating stuff, you know, which is interesting because my son is very creative too but Marcelin lacked that encouragement as far as arts were concerned mm. and interesting enough where Sam went to school too, I was really disappointed with Xavier and I'll say Xavier, but it's it was a great school for Sam, but his art, the art there was never encouraged and he's such a good artist and I really, you know, I really um, am disappointed that that wasn't um, encouraged more at the school for him because I can see what I missed out on and my potential because I love drawing and painting, but it was never encouraged and he didn't get that opportunity either. So, But hopefully he'll look into that as he gets older like I have. Well, if you had a time, we all had a time machine, Darren, it would be a different story now. Yeah, wouldn't it? We'd think so, Marcelin would be. What uh, would you do, Chris? Well, I studied accountancy but didn't have the courage of my convictions to stick what I was really good at, which was humanities. And, you know, I right. would read, we'd have, um, we'd be given the, pres- you know, the prescribed four books to read. I'd read each one 17 times because I loved it so much, even wow. when I was younger. And, uh, you know, it was just this, you know, you've got to think about getting a job. You know, mm. you're not going to, um, you know. Uh, but I don't regret yeah. going into that field because you learn lots of things and meet lots of interesting people. But, yeah, science was not my thing, I'm afraid, add-ups and takeaways. I became an accountant because I could make up whatever I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Moores? You would have been a fashion designer or you would have been at Louis Vuitton or something, you know? <laughs> no, if I only look similarly to Chris, I liked reading and still do. Right. It's one of my big things, so... I went down the humanities path and mm. um, got an arts degree. And don't tell us what what um, BA stands for, Daz. <laughs> and then went ahead and travelled widely, travelled internationally and then came back and I did do science. I became an occupational therapist and enjoyed that. Worked with oldies and in the corporate field as well and then um, with kids in paediatrics. And but look, all of that 
prepares you for. I mean, isn't it the case nowadays? You've had eight careers by the time mm. you get to about you know your forties and fifties, and some people in my jurisdiction eight wives. <laughs> <laughs> Won't touch Henry, that, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> well, we haven't heard from him yet, but um, our producer Mike Rebello is pushing all the buttons and listening intentively. You did a BA, Mike, and you came home and you gave me a new one, what BA stands for. What was it called? Uh, that would be the Bachelor of Attendance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a few around, Mike. <laughs> you're, and you're exceptional. You did have an exceptional BA. But look, I think we should all do generalist. I think we should all have the ability to read a book and study history, especially mm. what the hell's going on at the moment in the world's going. in Because mm. it looks similarly, eerily similar to WW. Mm. One one. Um, anyway, let's we, let's not take the tone of that. It down. does. But getting back to a BA, my son did a BA, where he studied religions of the world, philosophy, um, Spanish, and I was so jealous. I thought, oh my god, I would love to just study all of those things. That yeah, we wouldn't get you a job, but they're just so enriching. You know, I might go back and do a BA one day. Yeah, I think yeah. you hit nail on the head. It's the most rewarding 12 contact hours a week you'll have. You learn a lot of fascinating subjects and um, a lot of fascinating topics. But, uh, yeah, you get about one and a half years through your three-year degree and go, career's going to be an issue here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Sam did these um, Spanish – he kept getting H1s for Spanish and I'm saying, oh, my God, give me a sentence, Sam, give me anything. And he couldn't. He couldn't put a sentence together. And COVID did have its positives because he'd get the – the test because he knew what he was being examined and he'd stick it on the wall above his monitor and so when he was asked the questions he'd just read it out <laughs> can you believe it and he got h1s for it <laughs> savvy and entrepreneurial very entrepreneurial <laughs> oh my god now listen we're nearly home darren but i just want to talk about uh, one of our other dear sponsors talking about uh, Bulleen, heidelberg and mm-hmm. all those areas and if you go a little bit further along the road there up to rosanna one of our dear sponsors, Four Leaves Cafe, is a place you want to go to. Morse, tell us why Four Leaves Cafe is such a wonderful place to go to. So Four Leaves Cafe during COVID became Four Leaves Food Store. And it's, yes, it's a cafe, but it also has Provador section, a wine shop. We bake bread and we also have a delicatessen, which has delicious cured meats and pickled vegetables. And Daz actually has been the recipient of some of oh the produce from Four Leaves Food Store. Oh, my God. I could hardly – you need a shoehorn to get me in my door these days because <laughs> Moores gave me a little hamper. It wasn't a little hamper. It was quite a generous hamper. And it had these things called chocolate-coated bananas. What? Yes, peanut clusters. This is just – these are some of the more, um, you know, gourmet chocolate items. There are other things in there which are more savoury but and, and wine as well. But, oh, my God, that food. Yeah, magnificent. It was just great. You know what I like about Four Leaves Cafe, Moores? And, and look, I'm putting my business degree hat on and why cafes fail. And one of the reasons they fail is because they think if they put themselves next to Coles or on a busy road, they're going to be successful because given all the sheer traffic. No, I like Four Leaves Cafe because you do a right-hand turn off, uh, was it Lyle Heidelberg Road? Yeah, Rosanna Road. Rosanna Road, I beg your pardon. And you drive into 1964. And and, yes. and I say that in a nice way because you pull up out the front of the cafe and if it's a busy day, then you just go around to the side street and you walk 20 metres instead of five metres to the cafe and you're chilled and everybody is just there. And there's a beautiful little group of shops. The Chemist, 1971, I reckon. 
No, I'm being mean about it. Yeah, you're not at all. You've totally nailed it, Chris, because I've lived in that area all my life and it has not changed. And you you drive past it and, again, business degree hat on. You think, how are they making money? Because there's hardly anyone here. But it's it's the fact that it's community. It's community hub. Exactly where I was going. Locals. Yeah, well, fourleavescafe.com.au. That's it. And yeah, people, and, look, and people always sniff out good food, good, good food, restaurant, good coffee, good coffee you know, good food. It's just, it's a thing, it's a Melbourne thing, isn't it? Yeah, and hopefully they won't do what some, some cafes have done to me, Moors, uh, charge me rent for the table and the laptop computer, <laughs> and you sit and prop there. <laughs> I think we can safely <laughs> promise you that that won't happen, Chris. Before leaves cafe, get onto it. No, Daz, we're just about home, and I just want to um, say on behalf of Moores and I, um, thank you very much for giving, giving us your time. It's just great to have this conversation in this um, wonderful medium, which is podcast. And I know everybody, you know, the world's awash with podcasts, and it's a very good reason that the world's awash with podcasts, is because long-form storytelling, as opposed to the condensed, abbreviated crap that we've fed through um, some other media distributions, is what people want. Mm. and uh, telling an engaging story is three-quarters of the story, and you've been very engaging, Daz. And um, I'm just interested to know we're through the autumn uh, of 2022, and uh, I'd like to know what's ahead for you in the short, medium, and rest of the year terms. I'm going to Chicago. What? Yes, I'm going to Chicago in May to present a paper with a dear mate over there now. He's a Supreme Court judge over there, and we're showing my film Tommy, and we're... We're, yeah, presenting at the AFCC conference over there, which is great. I'm going to the Screen Producers um, Conference on the Gold Coast in a couple of weeks. I'm in a play at La Mama, which is a beautiful play called Measure of a Moment, set in 1900s Melbourne at La, at La Mama in the new theatre there, which is great. This is replacing the one that burned down. Mm. I didn't. Okay, well, t- yeah. quickly tell us what, what is, is it in the same spot? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Paradise yeah, Street? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yep. they've been using the old Melbourne courthouse or whatever it was. Right. Um, but they're, they're going back to that venue. And this play, is, it's, a, it's a play written by a teacher at Xavier in their junior school. But it's just a beautifully written play. It's exquisite. And the music in it's exquisite too. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm also, I'm doing an amateur musical, but it's a good standard called The Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And I've got to finish my book as well. Oh, and I've got to go to court. So, yeah. So, oh, and I've got to go to that conference that Moores is helping out with, or you guys are helping out with up in um, Brisbane, the AFCC conference up there I'm presenting. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we're doing a play up there too, oh. Marooned. Oh. So you're sorry you asked, Chris? No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I've, I've seen Marooned too. So to all our listeners, Marooned is wonderful and Daz is awesome in it too. So. Oh, thanks, Moores. It's a so great So thanks play. for joining us today, thanks Darren. Thanks for having me. It's I've had a wonderful. It's always and great. And if you wanted to get in touch with Darren, you can go to his website, darrenmore.com.au. Or if you wanted to get in touch with us, your hosts, you can go to communis.com.au. Chris? Yes, and we also have networkingmatters.com.au. Um, people are listening to us say, what happened to Networking Matters? Well, Networking Matters is alive and well. We had a beautiful launch about a year ago and the COV1D thing happened. Um, but we've ha- got this very vibrant network. We've got a lot of great uh, traction out of that and continue to do, uh, continue to, and this is part of it. Yeah, we can get get us there at Communis, not pronounced some other way that everybody loves pronouncing. It's Communis, as in community. Um, but before we go, Moors, I'm going to just, without notice, given that we're just along the theme here, I just want you to tell me 
what you're watching or reading at the moment. I've got one that I'd like to share. Well, I can start it off. Oh, more start. What have you got? What are you watching? Footy tragic. I'm sorry. I have been watching Indian Wells Masters and the footy, which started last week. Moors, this is where you and I sort of part ways <laughs> a little bit because you barrack for <laughs> the Donners. What? Go Bombers. Yeah, okay. Well, the Blue Black. Look, timestamp, the Blue Baggers had an epic moment yesterday. We beat the Tigers for the first time in 11 years, so we're very excited about that. So I hear that not a single player in Carlton had played in a winning game against Richmond. <laughs> I did hear Patrick Fitch say that he'd never beaten. Okay, so what I'm watching... I'm uh, test cricket, of course, because it is still cricket season. But um, there's two shows that I'm loving at the moment. One is called The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Um, I think it's Marvellous, not Magnificent. and Marvellous. Mi- yeah. Thank you, Michael. The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel. It's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. And I you think, know, you know how you conjure up what can a show be about when you hear The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel? Well, it is an amazing show about a female, a fictional character, female comedian. Set in the the late 50s and early 60s. It's amazingly funny. And the other one, of course, uh, is Succession that I've just loved watching because it's telling the story of a fictional family media empire that has striking similarities to another mega... um, But not so because I don't want them to block my (laughs) podcast. Uh, And those two are worth watching. I've really enjoyed that. Mm. And um, hoping Australia wins the third test. Good on you. Well, look, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Michael. Oh, worries. Yeah, did we say all the right things? This is where you tell me now that you didn't hit the record button. No, no. We're all recorded. We're all good. <laughs> You're a professional. <laughs> Moore's great to see you, you again. Too, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Darren, thank, thank you, you so much for being part of it. No, thanks so much for having me here. And thanks, special mention to the um, hostess with the Christmas cake. Oh, yes. Absolutely. She, oh, yes, yes. There's a Christmas cake. Look, family tradition in our, our house is the Christmas cake gets made on the cup weekend gets immersed in some serious alcohol, sits and brews, and then I, I try to get to March before we crack it open. And oh, How delicious. would you rate it, Daz? Would it, would, uh, 11 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Oh, you'll be allowed back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank Thanks you. for joining us.